0: Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here today in Little Langdale with author, illustrator and our guide for today's walk, Mark Richards. Oh hello David, great to be back. Yep, we're back. We uh, survived the onslaught of Storm Dennis, uh, (laughs) the second in as many weeks. Uh, and we're here, uh, another break in the weather. We've uh, got fast-moving grey clouds above, but we're, we're dry for now.
1: Dry for now. It, it was sunnier a little earlier, but uh, poor tents are quite good for this afternoon.
0: For a wander in Little Langdown. Now, our guest today, Mark, I'm excited about. We have a, a true Cumbrian legend, an author, a climber, a walker, and most recently, a vocal campaigner against some of the plans that threaten the landscapes of the Lake District. And a local lad as well, grew up in Little Langdale. It's Bill Burkitt.
1: Yeah, I'm very looking forward to this conversation because he's somebody I have tremendous admiration for. And anybody who knows anything about the Lake District will know of this family, the Burkett family, synonymous with Little Langdale and the working environment of this valley.
0: Many of our listeners will, I'm sure, know of Bill through his timeless book of Walking Lakeland Fells, Mark.
1: Yeah, Complete Lakeland Fells. That's 541
0: fells, something of that order. 541 fells. So if you've dipped your toe into Walking the Fells via Wainwright, potentially... Uh, and you're looking for a wider challenge, bagging the Burkitts is something that lots of people have taken off through the years. Oh,
1: don't blame them, it's a great sport in its own right, and if you love the fells, you need to have a sage-like, guide like Bill to give you the clue as to where to go, and he certainly has achieved that.
0: Well, we will talk to uh, Bill in a little while when we go to meet him about our route for today, which is uh, among some of the loveliest scenery in, in the Lake District. But let's go and meet Bill.
1: Well, we've climbed up some steps which says Slater's Bridge, um, past primroses and snowdrops, and a lovely old laid hedge beside the road, and I've come up into the field, and the wind is blowing like, wow, like, heck, it's a hoolie. And I'm in the company of Bill Burkitt and I'm thrilled to be with you, Bill. Well, it's good to see you again, Mark. Now, you're a little Langdale man through and through. You can chart your family back a couple of generations at least.
2: Well yeah you know Burkitt's probably a Norse name Norse Vikings um there's a lot of Burkitt's in this part of the Lake District this is my hometown this is the place I love most and uh, it's a fantastic environment and you've got families still in this valley yeah, there's a few of us left, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that house behind us there, that was built by Jonathan Burkitt. Uh-huh. And he was manager of, where well, are we going to walk today? Cathedral Quarry, right. uh, Atkinson Coppice is its real name. And uh, he was the manager there and then and built that house. Right, Because anybody who knows about you, knows about your dad. Jim Burkett was a uh, very, well, he was a quarry manager, but he was a very famous rock climber. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not many people from uh, Little Langdale. When he died, he was uh, his was in The Times, The Guardian and The Telegraph. And uh, he was probably the greatest rock climber of his uh, generation. Absolutely.
1: It's, it's, it's no wonder that you've carried it on and uh, your nephew. Um, yeah, Dave, Dave. Burkett,
2: my son, Will. Yeah, we're all climbers. Uh, Dave's taken it to new levels. His uh, rock climbs on Scarfell are probably... Some of the hardest routes have been done in the country, and Will's taking up the banner now. He's just been climbing in uh, Yosemite, he did the Nose on El Capitan in a very quick time. Rock is right at the core of your family, basically. Tony uh, Greenbank once wrote a, a well-known article about my dad, and it was called "Rock in His Blood." And I thought that was a really uh, appropriate title for it. Rock and roll. Well, let's rock and roll a little
1: bit further now.
2: Okay. Quite a breeze, isn't it, Bill? Now, can you describe the view from here? Well, we're just above Slater's Bridge. If we just get on the brow of the hill there, we can see the bridge. And you're looking up to that
1: low fell up towards Wethelum from here?
2: Yeah. That's great intake there. and Great then,
1: intake, yeah. yeah.
2: and then there's Birkafell, and, Ber- uh, and then up onto Wetherlam. yeah.
1: Is it Betsy Crag, is it, something up there?
2: Yeah, the mine's there, that's what we call Betsy Crag, yeah. And still the quarry at the top there, you can just see the top of the shed. And, and was Lanty Slee up there, I gather, was that right? Yeah, yeah, he's got a still site up there.
1: <laughs> We've got Jet with us, uh, Bill's dog. She thinks that uh, talking is the thing to do, so you'll hear <laughs> Jet periodically during the course of this podcast. This very much is your home ground, and
2: can you remember when you were quite young, what what sort of things did you do? Well, all the time, you know, I mean I used to walk all these trails around here, and with my grandfather, you know, you never used to see another saw really. No. But yeah, I used to walk all around here and uh, started climbing the quarries where we were going to go, and right. uh, just by myself, just sawing up things. The strange thing is, I mean, people find this hard to believe, but it's it's completely true. Is that uh, although my dad was a famous climber, and uh, ever since I could walk, I've been out in the mountains with him. I didn't actually know he was a rock climber until I started climbing with a, a friend from school, and um, right. I was 13. It was with Ronnie Black, yeah. and uh, from Ambleside. Um, Mum said, oh, your dad's done a bit of climbing. And uh, look at those books over there. And I picked up the Fell and Rock Guide book to score which was on the shelf, and got to the back where the the list of first ascents are. And it was just page after page of R.J. Burkett, Jim Burkett. And I couldn't believe it. I felt, I mean, such a quiet, modest kind of guy. But I felt so annoyed he'd never really... Made something m- of it. M- mentioned it to what? me at all, you know. And, uh, so after that, he took us out, showed us the ropes a few times, and we did a few routes together. But then he left us alone and, um, you know, was left to it myself. And I kind of, in a way, I kind of regret that with my children. I've kind to encourage them and be involved, but I think he just wanted me to do it for my own sake. Quite. He was so famous, he didn't really want to get me into that situation, he yeah. just wanted me to do it for enjoyment, so that, that's that, that, that the whole thing really.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's wonderful that your son has carried it on as well I think.
2: Well it is, yeah, it's it, it's very much rocking your blood, I mean it's just um, you do it because you kind of love it and you don't know where that comes from, but uh, I, mean, I still absolutely love getting out on crags, I spend quite a bit of time in Spain this winter I'll probably go back again before the winter's out. And. Uh, You know, just to potter up things and just get my hands and feet on the rock. Your interest in the outdoors was not just crags. You had a great love of botany and bird life and so on. Well, that all started with my father. Mm -hmm. He had a passion for uh, flora and fauna. He was a particularly uh, great expert on uh, birds of prey, mountain birds of prey. And... uh, Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, I mean, I started off at probably about seven, early age. He used to lower me down on the rope to mark uh, peregrine's eggs um, so they were valueless to collectors. Much more than that, he teamed up with uh, Dr. Derek Ratcliffe, who was chief scientist of the Nature Conservancy, and through my dad's records and, and help and a few other people, Derek was able to prove the link between DDT pesticide and the fact that... Um, all the peregrines uh, were virtually becoming extinct. I think they were extinct in Wales, there was a few nesting pairs left in the Lake District, a few more in Scotland, but they were on the edge of extinction and uh, nobody could work out what was happening. Observers could see that the, uh, the peregrines were breaking their eggs. They seemed to be destroying their own eggs and nobody could understand why. And it was Derek Ratcliffe, through my dad's records and photographs and all the rest of it, and, and going to the nests with my dad, he realised that uh, The reason the eggs were breaking uh, was that the the shell was getting much thinner and that was was able to prove that was due to the DDC pesticide and subsequently got it banned and uh, thank God saved peregrines and now they're, you know, uh, they've really come back very strongly. Most crags in the lakes now are graced with the peregrine falcon. Well, this is is a a
1: wonderful testimony to somebody who cared and it's not just about caring about uh, the landscape, it's about all the living things that make the place special.
2: Now, where are we going today, Bill? Well, I think we'll drop down from here to Slaters Bridge, yep. which is a iconic uh, place. People from all over the world kind of love it. And then I'll take you into the quarries. We'll go in through the backyards and through the tunnels, and then uh, we'll come out, and I'll take you on some of the, uh, the old tracks that I used to follow with my grandfather. And some of the tracks that lead over to High Tilberthwaite Farm are now occupied by these four before and we can talk about that a bit as well when we get on those tracks.
1: Okay, so we'll do that now then. Okay. The breeze hasn't let up yet, but we've come to a very iconic spot which draws the crowds year on year, month on month. It's called Slater's Bridge.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. The initial part is a clapper bridge. And if you look at the slab of uh, slate there, it's, well, I don't know, four metres or something. Locally, that's known as the Devil's Slab. The local folklore is that um, the workmen who were putting it in place left it on the uh, raised rampart, sliding the next morning, and when they got back, um, it was in place, so that's why it's called the Devil's (laughs) Slab. But the arch section, and it smacks have been very, very ancient, and some books, I don't necessarily agree with it, they reckon that it could well be Roman in origin. If you look at the way it's constructed with the stone arch slabs, they're actually coming right up from the arch itself, making, the side uh, stones if, you, if you're right and that's a kind of a romanesque feature so who knows it's very picturesque anyway
1: it is nothing quite like in the lakes this is absolutely unique and the way it's eroded in the middle suggests centuries of clogs and boots
2: <laughs> absolutely yeah well of slaters bridge we take it that it must have been built uh, or used anyway by the, the quarrymen because we're going to some extensive quarries what uh, sort of footwear would they have worn well, they all wore clogs, which are wooden boots, if you like, with uh, clinker nails uh, for soles. My dad used to climb in clogs occasionally. Right, yeah. Um, and they all swore by them, you know, as being not only hardy footwear, but very good for your feet and all the rest of it. So. <laughs> yes, <laughs> healthy for your foot. Now, in the summer
1: when you were young, did you used to swim in this river?
2: Yeah, this dub down below, uh, downstream of the bridge, that's where we started off when we were really young, because we learned to swim there, you know, you go along on your on the floor kind of paddling and get a bit deeper and a bit deeper and then you'd over your head and depth and you had to swim so that's how we learnt and then after that we progressed and got up to Rob's Robshall which is just like a couple hundred metres up the up the river here which right. is really deep, it's about 30 feet deep. Wow, and, that is uh, seriously yeah, deep. Yeah, <laughs> the name is supposed to become, there's a very steep track above it uh-huh. and uh, Rob was supposed to go down his horse and cart and the horse bolted and he's supposed to have gone into Hole and drowned but uh, oh. Who knows? Who knows? I've never, I've dived down there when I was a kid, carrying a rock to take me down and to try and find a horse and car, but there was nothing, (laughs) nothing nothing down there. Do you remember horses when you were very young? Yeah, we, uh, I used to. Help out just as a kid on the Wilson Place farm, and we had a, a Clydesdale Shire horse. And right. uh, Jim, the farmer, Jim Wilson, he uh, he had a massive Ferguson traction in the barn, but he'd, he'd never use it. He always used the car. Us. horse. <laughs> and uh, you know, happy days haymaking. It was just fantastic. Really, whole families out in the field. Really? You know, it's a real feeling of of community.
1: Quite a remarkable place this bell. We come through a passage and you get into this amazing cathedral, this architectural wonder with a great window out into the world beyond. But there's this
2: huge pillar Oh, Well there's... yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting. It's quite the quite complex really because uh... Initially, this would have started off as a close head, which is, uh, head is a closed head. So it would have been an underground chamber. You'd have come in through this entrance, that we'd come in. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, we'd get to what they call the good metal, where the good slate is, mm-hmm. a great big sop of slate, and that they would have quarried that. But it's obviously a lot more complex than that, because you can see these other entrances going in here, and that itself is going to a, a, a more massive quarry beyond, you know, and underlying this, there's probably tunnels as well. So it's built up over centuries of pouring. And one of my first memories of coming here, was just a, a tiny kid, sat on my dad's shoulders, and he went straight to the edge, he stood. And I remember standing right on the edge and me looking down to the pool. But all that's fallen in. The bit that we were actually standing on, you can see it's a pile of rocks down there. <laughs> so they're always changing these places. There's always bits falling off, you know.
1: And it's all such heavy material, though, isn't it? When you say about it being metal, it's stone, but the stone is like metal.
2: It's very strong. I mean, the quality of slate is the slaty cleavage, so it, it splits along cleavage lines. But once it's split, when you load it in the opposite sense, it's very, very strong. It's a really good building material. Mm.
1: So what would the material be used for? Can you just quantify it? Well, yeah,
2: obviously it formed the roofs of many buildings, the slates themselves. Certainly throughout the Lake District, it's all natural slate from these places. But I think it probably went further afield, probably with the industrial kind of revolution and you know, the the formation of big towns like Manchester. I think there's probably a quantity of Lakeland slate was used in that. Certainly there was Welsh slate and Mm -hmm. uh, probably Lakeland slate as well.
1: We walk round by the pillar, by a pool, which looks very exciting. And you get another perspective on the pillar. Now, have you got any memories of coming in here as a lad?
2: Yeah, I used to spend a lot of time in these quarries, and uh, this is a sump here, it probably goes down to another level, it's awful of water now, but it's probably pretty deep. I remember when I was a kid standing here and I looked at that, I could see the ledge up there, and you yeah. could see a few stones, I think. It
1: goes up there, I don't know, 30, 40 feet, so you weren't up
2: there. There's like a ramp and a series of kind of ledges and steps, it's, it's plumb vertical, but... Uh, I was fascinated by that ledge I just thought there might be some secret treasure on it or something like that <laughs> I was only about seven and nine and had my wellies on and uh,
1: <laughs> wellies
2: yeah and I, I saw a lot of that it's, you know today it would be quite a tough climb you know even for a modern climber it was only when I got onto the ledge and there was nothing really there but then I, I realised I had to get back down and that was a bit daunting but I must have made it because I'm still here so well,
0: absolutely.
2: probably was my first climb thinking about it um, and you know it's not a recognised rock climb or anything like that it's just that I just wanted to do it. I wanted to get up there and see what was up there. Wow. So, it's,
1: it's known as the lad's route. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come out of the little gallery there, and passage it, leads us into a... A greater space, a phenomenally greater space. There's a family here, and, and Jet's getting her word in edgeways, don't blame you, Jet. And you've got a phenomenal view looking up from here. So, when your dad was working in the quarries, what sort of tasks would you do?
2: Well, my, my dad was a rival, he split the slate. Everybody had their own specialist jobs. You know, there were the, the quarrymen who quarried the actual stone, blasting the stone out, people who sawed the stone. Um, and uh, my dad did the riving, so with a hammer and chisel, he'd take great big massive lumps of slate and turn them into uh, thin bands of rock, which are then made into slates for the roof. Later on, it was used for monumental work. Face of Coventry Cathedral was uh, stoned from uh, Mossrigg Quarry just over the top here, from where we are. Happy to know that you
1: can go today at that famous cathedral in Coventry and realise that stone came from Mossrigg Quarry. Uh, and your your mum you know, what did she do? What was her interest well, in
2: life? <laughs> yeah, well, we lived at Delview, just in the centre of the village there, and uh, mum did bed and breakfast, and we also let half a house, which is sounds odd now, but in those days you didn't have luxury holiday cottages. If you lived in the, in the area as a means of income you let um, some portion of your house off just for a week you know uh, or whatever individual weeks and, and that's how it worked quite but it really supplemented everybody's income you know uh, tourism it was kind of essential really
1: the three shires Inn was it always called that
2: the local name for it is low jerry the building just above the white building by the side of the road now it's called birch house that used to be called uh, high jerry so where the name Jerry came from, I'm not quite sure.
1: Yeah, the Jerry's are all over the place. They're like beer houses. Are they? Yeah, oh, it's, right.
2: it's, a, it's a term,
1: a North Country term, I gather. Oh, so.
2: interesting.
1: <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. So, you know, a gerrymandering is when you spend a lot of time in them. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so the kind of tourists that your mum would be entertaining, what were their interests? Where did they come from?
2: Well, there were people that loved the countryside, and there were walkers as well. Um, I suppose some of them were actually climbers as well. Today, it tends to be um, people often just come up for... Well, they stay in holiday cottages, I suppose, but um, a lot of them... um, just come up for a day don't they thought it's a good forecast so you get streams of cars coming in so it's it's, it's a, it seems a lot busier now uh, yes. than, than it ever used to be
1: when your mum was operating as it were people came and spent a few days they weren't in a hurry and they wandered straight from the door and came back and so on
2: no that's right we had people who actually came on the bus they didn't use they didn't even have a, own a car you know and um mm. i suppose that changed that uh, people did have cars but uh, it was a much quieter way of life and it's something that the National Park's not promoting zip wires and, and 4 befores and houseboats on Grassmere, it's something that should be looking at traffic control and, and traffic management because places like Grassmere where I live now, it's absolutely chock-a-block, you can't move, I mean the locals are obviously fed up of it and uh, there is no sense of management, you know, it needs taking a hand and, and managing and the thing is it's got to be free for all, it's... Uh, Free access for all, and that's important. It's not just rich people who should have the privilege of staying in expensive uh, holiday cottage or even second homes. It should be free for everybody to to use. Mm. But it does need management. I mean, back in the 60s, we did a survey and we were talking about um, stopping visitors coming in the cars and that they'd have to park in Kendall and bus it in that might be extreme i don't know but it needs looking at it needs an examination and and it needs sorting out and Mm. uh, this this free-for-all situation of more and more people um piling in is is just not on it's going to ruin the very thing that people come for Mm. which is a very special beauty solitude of the national park it's a unique place and it, it needs protection it needs management and at the moment we just haven't got it and we're all fed up with it
1: Staggering place to be, Bill, in the midst of this quarry with a breeze whistling through the trees above. (laughs) Amazing place. It's it's a great atmosphere here. Now, you're a man of the great mountains. You sense that um, people wanted to climb the hills like they were influenced by the Wainwright guides. You sense that there was a need for a one-off title that defined the fells for walkers.
2: How it came about, I'd already uh, done quite a few books, mainly on climbing, classic rock climbs of Great Britain and things like that, and they'd been pretty successful. And uh, I was approached by uh, Harper Collins to do a book in the Lake District. That was it, can you do a book in the Lake District? And I thought, blimey, there's, there's so many books on the Lake District. <laughs> Even then, this is yours, 1990. But it was kind of... Nice, just to be asked. But I was sat down on the front porch uh, in this Langdale and uh, I was just looking at it and I thought, well, what should I do? And I thought, well, the book I always wanted was a book that, one book with all the fells in, the details of all the fells, where they were, what were the names, how would you climb them? And that's the book that I wanted and I thought, well, that's what, I'm, that's what I'll do. So that gave
1: rise to this simple concept, the complete Lakeland fells and... That led you into the whole process of structuring it. And so what sort of thought process came into your mind about structuring it?
2: Well, I had to uh, divide the lakes up into uh, six different areas, which to me were obvious areas. And they are actually different to um, a well-known guy, but as you know, Wainwright, they were different to Wainwright areas thought about what I thought were logical areas. like My central fells are Helvellyn and um, Fairfield and Massif. And uh, to me, they are the central fells. They are Wainwright's Eastern fells. But I didn't let that worry me. I just thought, to me, they are the central fells. And I just went on like that. And from my experiences in all these different areas, um, I just came about the, uh, the fells. Then I decided on the groups of hills, like the Fell group and uh, Helvellyn Massif, and I just took what were logical groups, and then within that, then I started looking in more detail at the uh, true tops, and I identified those and that 's how it's structured really
1: mm. and, and you had a sort of a, a level at which they started
2: yeah, a thousand feet in altitude, just to keep it within you know reasonable numbers and I think there's five hundred and forty one tops something like that. The funny thing is i've walked most of these hills from a, a very very young age as a child onwards uh, with my father but very seldom did we actually go to the tops because mm-hmm. we were looking for peregrine falcons or rare ferns or, or whatever, or just walking for the heck of it. But we didn't. We weren't aiming to go to the the summits, you know, that was a secondary thing. But it was a way of getting the information over. But I didn't deliberately plan it just to be a a list of tops. Uh, That was a logical conclusion, really, to the whole concept. One of the things I I looked back when I did the book was it was in the 90s. And uh, I gave what I thought were accurate times. And I was stopping taking photographs. I had two cameras, black and white in colour, (laughs) carrying a bit of weight. Black and
1: white, those (laughs) were the days. (laughs) Yeah, those
2: were the days. I kept notebooks um, and... uh, Carefully noted the times, and those are the times that are in the book. And now I think, bloody hell, it's impossible, you know. I mean, I'm taking twice as long, and most people say, oh, you've made it up, these times are ridiculous, but they are actually what I did. And I thought that's what everybody, the pace everybody was walking at, but you can add at least 50% to most of those times.
1: So, amongst all those wonderful fells, and they never lose their gloss and their pleasure of uh, being amongst them, are there any particular areas that always draw you back?
2: Yeah, well there are, but I must say I think every time I go somewhere it becomes my favourite area because it's it's always different and um you know it's, it's it changes not just by the seasons but every single day and um it's just different lights and different conditions and different people that you meet. You know you know Mark, you spend mm. an awful lot of time on the fells and it's just that's it. So it's it's about experience and to say, you know, Score fell is my favourite is or oh, Lingmoyle's my favourite, it's, it's ridiculous because on each different day I, I enjoy them equally, you know. It's, it's every day's an adventure, really. It still is, it's just great to get out there.
1: I echo that in a space that echoes. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously generate a, a following and people who want to climb the
2: burkits yes I, d- I do get a lot of correspondence or emails today about it all and um i'll tell you an amusing using till in a minute but the letters i really appreciate is i mean i've had quite a few letters where people said oh you've, you've changed my life and um i've loved climbing the fells and walking the fells and you just enriched my my life and um to me that's absolutely nothing could be better i couldn't care less if you've done the burkits or not but there's an interesting tale. the first person to claim the uh book, it's Ginger, I can't remember his full name now. Actually standing here but uh <laughs> he organized a big kind of press do and um it was in the Britannia Inn with all the like national press and everything and uh, so he showed me all these records of his ascents and all the rest of it and I looked through them, they all seemed absolutely genuine. Anyway, he organized this do and I was there obviously and uh, presented him with a book and bought him a pint of it. and um, a whole pint? Well, oh, oh, yes. Oh, well, I only <laughs>
1: gave you half a pint of
2: the her <laughs> in. And uh, but the thing was, as we were stood at the bar with all these uh, press rounds, I said, How did you find the climb on Pillar Rock, getting up Pillar Rock? And he just said, ever so casually, I said, Oh, I haven't done that. <laughs> so he hadn't, he hadn't done them. <laughs> I wasn't brave enough to condemn him so there you are. Slab
1: and notch awaits (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely, yeah
1: Well, this is absolutely riveting you leading me up a passage here, which I believe is it mentioned in your guidebook if you've got a torch, it's worth following, we've come out of that great chamber and we've come into a passage and we came to a fork in the way and we've taken the right-hand fork and we come to a railing which is stopping us to go further. Can you describe
2: the view beyond this point, Bill? Yeah, it well, was a great big underground cavern and there are some amazing chambers uh, underground. Well, this tunnel here that we're going to walk through really goes through the mountain. And Do
1: you know the sheer number of these passages like this?
2: Hundreds. Um, I... Explored a lot of them when I was when I was a kid with my friend Roy Garner from uh, from Ambleside and um, One of the entrances I remember there there was like a bit of a tip outside, but it was full of water So on this tip this is absolutely true. There's an old bathtub We didn't know how deep it was or anything So we sailed in on this bathtub into this passageway into a great big underground chamber, you know, it's absolutely amazing if you look at the quarries all the way through here, from Old Munn right the way through here, there's many, many places like this. It doesn't appear to have any quarry records about. Mineral mining, copper mining and, and the rest of it were fairly well documented, but quarrying, there doesn't seem to be many written records or plans of these quarries. It's
1: a bit of a black hole.
2: Well... <laughs> <laughs> Without Absolutely. the torches, it certainly Absolutely. would yeah, be. Yeah. Well, we will head back a bit, I think.
1: Go on, Jack. That's a fascinating thing, to come out of that quarry like that, out of the cathedral uh, labyrinth, as it were, and we come out and it's pouring more rain. And we come onto a track, out of the Tilbury track, and uh, past a little cottage through by a gate, and uh, we're coming up underneath Moss Ring Quarry, where we can't actually see it. it's uh, shrouded in moss and trees and so forth as yet. But I gather this was the way your dad would go to work in the morning.
2: One of the great joys to him was to walk to work every day. Because he loved nature, didn't he? He, he loved nature. And just imagine what you could see along this track, you know, and probably still can, thank goodness. Uh, you know, deer, badgers, foxes, you name it, not to mention the, the, the birds. And uh, he just loved that, to be out there and, and to him, you know, to walk. To work was an absolute privilege and a pleasure, rather than uh, (laughs) driving some diesel engine construction. Yeah, yeah. As a kid, used to come along here from Little Langdale School, now completely closed, of course. We used to go on uh, nature rambles. There were, I suppose, was supposed to be, um, you know, once or twice a week, (laughs) and it was just, uh, it was basically a stampede of us eager ones at the front and uh, running around these bends and used to do a rock, there's a rock slide just a few hundred metres along the road there, which we all used to slide down. You, see, you can still see the black line, because it used to be, it was polished, you know, It's absolutely amazingly slippery. Now it's covered in Moss.
1: We'll have to continue a little bit further. Where are we heading towards? Hodge? Yeah, well,
2: the road splits just further up here. We go underneath the Moss Rig Quarry, and then it splits off left to Hodge Close Quarry, but we'll go right. We're heading for um, High Tilberthwaite Farm, where there's uh, a story I think I should tell you about. Okay.
1: come over the rise at this track and we've got a view down now ahead of us Bill down to a high Tilberthwaite farm and low Tilberthwaite I presume that is through there which is actually where we came down when we were with George Kitchen where we came through Tilberthwaite Gill off uh, Mm, Wetherlam.
2: yeah right yeah
1: yeah and so that so we're actually almost linking through from one podcast to another
2: but just briefly because we're coming to this spot for a Particular reason. Well, just say, first of all, you know, you look at it, it looks absolutely idyllic. What a beautiful place. We're nestling in the head of a deserted, remote-looking valley. Just a few stone cottages and farms. And it's extremely beautiful. But, unfortunately... Just fairly recently, within the last, I would say, ten years, there's been greater and greater use of four before's coming along these lanes. Right. Now they've never been built for four befores. No. They're built for horses and carts. And in my lifetime in Little Langdale, they've always been quiet, special places where you went to walk with your family or by yourself to seek solitude or to look at nature. They were absolutely fabulous. And now they've been invaded by 4x4s. And there's a few commercial operators who bring great big chains of, of vehicles. I mean, we're talking about 60, 70, 80 grand vehicles. These are not vehicles for poor people. They're yeah. not vehicles for disabled transport. They are luxury transport. But what they're doing is that they're not only destroying the whole essence of the national park of peace and solitude and anti-commercialization, they're actually destroying the tracks. But it's not so much the ruining of the tracks, they're ruining people's lives. Now this farm here, High Tilberthwick Farm, was formed by a in my lifetime by George Burkett and his daughter was Dorothy Burkett. She married Glenn Wilkinson. Glenn and Dorothy took it over, raised a family, absolutely loved the place, and they've had to move out. They've got all these vehicles up to 54 befores coming right through the middle of the farm. And they've left. They just couldn't stop it. There's no support from the national parks. They felt completely abandoned. And that's it. That's what it's led to. So, off the back of that circumstance over the
1: last ten years, an active group has formed.
2: Absolutely, yeah. There's a, a Green Wind campaign group. I'm kind of a helper of, if you like. You can get all the details online. You can support it online and uh, and that is against the use of these 4 befores on green lanes. Now what all they want to do is on two or three of these green lanes around here they want to put on TROs traffic restriction orders. They'll still be able to be used by agricultural vehicles, but it'll stop the onslaught of pleasure seeking 4 befores. Simple solution. It isn't hard to do the Current Walnut track above Coniston over into the Dudden Valley is already subject to a uh, TRO order, so they can't be used by Ford before. But it's not just the 40,000 people that live in the Lake District, it's the whole population who love wild places and love national parks that are against this. And anyway, we need support, so please get online and join us.
1: Really great view coming over the brow here, looking to see uh, Harrison's Tickle, yeah, yep. with Dungeon Gill and Thorn yeah, Crag, yeah, yeah. and Lingmore Fell intervening, yeah. and then probably in the mistiness of Helvellyn, Dollywagon and Nethermost, and Seat Sandal, and then the pass of... Grosdale Horse, is that? that? That's
2: right, yeah. What else do you think you can see, Bill? Well, well, you can see the top half of the Fairfield Horseshoe, actually. All this uh, western side, and then you can see over to uh, Dove Crug and all the rest of it, can't you, on the far side? Uh, And Red Screes. Yeah, yeah, Red Screes, yeah.
1: And what are we looking at behind us?
2: Well that's Home Fell, which is again it's one in, in my Langdale's walks book and that's a a magic walk that goes through uh, High Oxendale Farm and makes its way along the spine of Home Fell, and it's absolutely marvellous.
1: But we're underneath the quarry now is this Betsy Crag?
2: Well or? yeah Betsy Crag's up at the top actually but these are the quarries leading up to Betsy Crag which is still a working quarry. Father and son still work that which is amazing. When I was a kid it wouldn't be them working it then but I used to look out of my bedroom window you know and uh, Winter's day, a bit colder today with the snow driving down. I used to look up there and see this light 2,000 feet up and think, blimey. Don't ever think I've got it tough, just look at that, you know, amazing.
1: I'm looking at the trees around here. It reminds me of our last but one podcast when we were out with George Kitchen coming off Wetherlam Edge. And we came down onto the fell. And we noticed after a little mine area, stumps of trees, which didn't seem to gel with
2: anything around it. It's specifically to do with the mining, because the miners used larch. Or they used them as the roof supports and the pit props. So they used to cultivate the larch trees and then fell them. So they were specifically up there for the mines. That's why you're seeing them cut off and just the stumps and things right?
1: That intrigued me at the time, and there's a bit of a shaft close by, I noticed yeah, as well. Yeah, right. So it all ties in with that. There's a bit of sleet in the air, and the day's racing ahead of us, so we about ought to head off now. But um, where do you think we should go from here, Bill?
2: Well, we're going to miss out holgarth and go down uh, one of my favourite paths that I always used to walk with my grandfather, and it's virtually a straight line to uh, Slater's Bridge. Fabulous. Now, listeners, this is for you to find. I will plot
1: it on my map so it <laughs> should, should be available, but uh, it's not obvious to the casual view of a heritage route. So, we're coming down on this lovely old path, which I gather you haven't been on for 30-odd years, and it's still here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I used to often walk down here with my grandfather and... Uh obviously after that as well it's a it's a nice little shortcut with great views and fantastic ambience probably gives you the best view of little langdale that you get from anywhere really
1: with a great view down onto little langdale tarn and lingmoor fell beyond and the sprinkling of farmsteads you've got that wonderful backdrop towards helvellyn and so on it's it's just a magical place and anybody who's read Complete and fells knows here's a man who knows the fells intimately but what are those fells given to you that you can actually put into words now?
2: So much, really. Um, it's just the, the feeling when I'm out here, the feeling of freedom. You don't have to be rich or anything to enjoy these fells. And to be here, you, I, I realise I'm really privileged. And I had a, a privileged life with my dad um, and my mum. We're out, we, we're walking these fells. and Ever since I could walk, you know, from a few years of age, right out there. And... Uh, it's just really, really special. Just hope that it can be kept safe for everybody, really. Well, we're coming down towards the tarn the
1: now. I can see it down below us. It's wonderful looking back, Bill. It's pink in the sky and the clouds. Red sky at night, shepherd's delight, that means it's moving on the day. <laughs> anyway, you got to that magical part of all our Country road podcasts where we give our honoured guests that wonderful moment of quick-fire questions. Oh, right, marvellous. So, have you a very first Lakeland memory?
2: Well, I remember as a kid in Little Langdale, I was I just a tiny tot, really, but there were some gates in those days on the road, you know, in the summer, I used to stand by these gates and open them, hoping to get pennies and sixpences or whatever from uh, the few motorists that came up, so I can remember that. Do you remember buses and things like that? That's... No, there were no buses up here, never have been. <laughs> <laughs> Even horses and carts came very infrequently. Yeah, they were too pleased about paying actually. But uh... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Have you a particular favourite view, somewhere you like to stand and stare and say, this is magic?
2: Well, I think, what well, we just walked over looking down to Little Langdale. That's one of my favourites, definitely. I, I, I'm really with you there. Have you a favourite Cumbrian hero or heroine, dead or alive? One of my early books was called Lakeland's Greatest Pioneers, and it was all about pioneer rock climbers, and um, they're all kind of heroes to me, you know. From
1: Haskett-Smith onwards, or...
2: Haskett-Smith onwards.
1: Red Squirrel or Herdwick?
2: Oh, dear me. Um, yeah, well, Herdwick's, I guess, because I... One of the things I used to do with my dad and uh, afterwards is rescue uh, Stuck Herdwick sheep. And uh, they're great characters, really. People think sheep are sheep, but they're not. They're yeah. all different.
1: Have you a favourite pub?
2: Oh, so many. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, a shame uh, you don't drink, isn't it, Bill? Yeah, well, I don't drink very much now. But uh, I think the old Gill still is the climbers and walkers pub you know it's still a great hospitable place it's not been taken over by uh, complete foodies it's not become a complete restaurant it is a nice restaurant as well but there's still local people going there and climbers so i think that remains my favorite, favorite and pub.
1: understandably really. you've got ravencrag directly above it just to scramble on exactly yeah. You yeah, yeah between pints now if you could be the prime minister for one day uh, what one thing would you do to safeguard the landscapes of cumbria
2: well, I'd see that the, uh, the principles of the National Park were more closely followed. That's the one thing I would do. All the legislation, I think, is there. It's just it needs uh, greater adherence and attention, really.
1: And the Samford principle brought to bear on every opportunity. Yeah. And finally, when the time comes and a few friends gather to remember you in a place that means something special to you,
2: where in Lakeland would that be? I want to have a proper Viking burial in Little Langdale Town. I want to be pushed out in my own boat and uh, the whole thing set on fire. And a giant party, probably over a week or so, would be, be great. That's what I want.
1: on well, a wonderful, vivid picture. It brings the whole place to light. Anyway, Bill, it's been a huge honour for me to share this moment. I've been with you many times before, but this tops them all. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mark. Thank you.
0: journey's end back outside the Three Shires Inn in Little Langdale and it's a starry starry night mark no excuse to start singing <laughs> I, I know you want to
1: yeah it's been it's supposed been a remarkable afternoon bill was such a star he is such a emblem of little langdale and the spirit of the lake district
0: yeah absolutely uh, second all of that and the walk in itself he took us on some real interesting diversions didn't he i think both you and i have probably walked most of those tracks but that little tunnel. Yeah, we went into the heart oh, of the mountain. We went into the heart of the mountain, which was fascinating. And then he took us on this little path that he walked with his granddad 30 years ago. And it hadn't been on it since. No. Which is wonderful. Isn't it lovely? And what great view, actually, of Little Langdale from there. Yeah. He was right to point out that actually there aren't many fantastic viewpoints of the whole valley.
1: You're just peering down on it without being too high. And yet you're looking down on the lake, the tarn. And you also see how Ling Moor Fell sits so sweetly behind it. Mm. And most people, when they're driving through the valley, are hampered, they're blinkered through most of the way.
0: Now, we don't touch on politics too much on Country Stride because, for us and for a lot of our listeners, it's nice to kind of get away from some of the challenges facing us at the moment. But there are things that people care passionately about in the lakes and it would be remiss of us not to look at them every so often. And... Obviously Bill, very passionate about the 4x4s issue, so we've brought that to light and obviously Bill, somebody who's lived and worked uh, in Little Langdale for pretty much his entire life, so he has that unique perspective. A reminder that you can download uh, any of our past podcasts, which we're now 25? 27th, Tw- this is. This is 27, right. Okay, so <laughs> 26 past episodes at www.countrystride.co.uk. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at... Countrystride1. Countrystride1. <laughs> Do drop us a mail. Uh, we love hearing from you. And we've got some lovely podcasts lined up lots to look forward to but for today and from little Langdale under this starry night we're saying goodbye for now. Goodbye.